Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman. Our guest today uh, is, a, is a mentor of mine, grown friend, Pierre Debar. Pierre, this podcast will come out off the back of, I just had a podcast with Patrick McEwen, uh, who does the Oxygen Advantage, uh, does a lot of the nasal breathing that we work with. But I know you and I have also explored uh, open mouth breathing and sort of like, let's call it heart zone activation. Where I, I'll let you get into some of the nitty gritty of the of the details of of what that feels like and looks like and, and how we're able to access that intelligence. But we're coming off of, it's been a year of COVID. I know my uh, goal in starting this podcast was to help a lot of youth athletes and, and hockey players. I know it's something that uh, you've been employed to do with, with all of your personal work. How are you out there in the field today? Like, how are you out there helping? I know you've done a lot of work with the University of Wisconsin uh, hockey players. You see a lot of junior kids. What's the sentiment out there? Ha- have people been able to, you know, grow during this time? Or are you experiencing a lot of, a lot of stuckness that you're working through with people? Well, first of all, great to be on great to be on here, Connor. And, uh, I, I love this. I love your approach and your curiosity towards life. That's well, you're a big, big part blood. of it, by the way. Um, <laughs> I used to, no, seriously, I used to just with your range, right? Like Pierre, you've taught me about, I first came to, I, I skipped over some of the steps, bad host, but I first approached Pierre as I was, I was early in my pro <laughs> career I was really trying to bring my body to the next level. I thought that that's what was really limiting me from my pro experience from being what it was. And looking back, you know, I've probably first approached you for massage and some of the hydrotherapy that you did. And then between the emotional work, the grounding work, a lot of the breath work that we did, I started to find that for sure, a lot of my physical issues actually went away. Like some of the the trials and tribulations from training but much greater than that, I had real in time and in, in stressful times uh, applications available from the skill sets that we that we learned, whether it was the big, you know, armpit to armpit sort of breath work. Uh, my personal curiosity it was something that wasn't integrated at that time in my life. I wanted to be this soldier. I wanted to be this, you know, turn this all off, turn this all off and just go out there and, and, and be a warrior. But and I know that archetype, you know, hits close to home for you. That's not who I am. And it was, it was, it was draining a lot of energy uh, that, that closed mindedness, that, that lack of respect for my gifts, um, was showing up in my relationships and in my work. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think you, you hit, hit the nail there, which is we lose more energy in our emotions than anywhere else. and. Uh, when you look at what feeds our emotion, it's our relationships. And it's our relationship, number one, to ourselves, And two, the relationship with, the, you know, others, uh, whether it's professional or personal. And then three, the environments we walk through. We all walk through multiple environments, either on a daily or weekly basis. And each one of those have different demands on us, different roles. And if we're not conscious of how we are and, and those impact of those environments or relationships on ourselves, you know, we're going to be running into a lot of energy drains, which impact performance, whether you're a student, student athlete, or a uh, professional hockey player. And, and when you don't have skills to lean on, yet you think you got it, or you just have these natural gifts, well, you know, informal informal skills only go so far. They you end up running into your subconscious, you know, garbage at some point or another, and you got to look at it. And if you don't, that's fine. You're just going to have limitations in your life. And when you go back to that original question about COVID and influence, people are reaching out to me more than ever because just I really believe COVID. Is, uh, is an opportunity and it's been an opportunity to look inward just like everything forces back into our homes and forces back into this cocoon you know that's really a, a, a sort of a, a more collective view of looking inward we had to look at those relationships we had to look at ourselves outside of our patterns and there is an opportunity 
And so in one of my coaching things is literally everything is an opportunity. And when you can come from an emotional space of appreciation over and over, gratitude and appreciation are real close together on that spectrum. When you have that anchor of appreciation, you just appreciate the challenges in life too, because they're, they're asking more of you. They're asking you to change or alter or um, just see what's really meaningful and what are your values. So, yeah, I mean, I, if we don't look at it and we look at, oh, this external world is causing me to feel a certain way. No, no, no. That external world isn't crawling into your body and playing with the mechanics of your emotions and mind. No, that's you. So this is really a, a, a big part of teaching real easy skills about how to just navigate the relationship with self. Because if you invest in that relationship, you will have much more influence with the relationship with others and those various environments you walk through. But if you don't, usually most people let those other two relationships dictate the relationship with self. Well, like when I think back to when we first met, I would say simply due to the competitiveness of pro hockey and how ambitious I was and the accessibility to role models, I had very, our inputs eventually equate our outputs, right? And I was very conscious about creating the best inputs I could. I would train with the best. I would skate with the best if I could. My effort was always at a high level. Uh, but what I recognized was in other areas of my life, I was very unconscious about my inputs, how I, how I breathed, how I talked to myself, how I, you know, related uh, to others, particularly in times of stress, right? When, when I wasn't playing well, I, I'd be mopey, I'd be moody, mm -hmm. I'd be hard to be around, food wouldn't taste as good. And all of a sudden, you know, sort of this, people don't like to sit there and, and, and think of, uh, uh, deal with the responsibility of this. But I, I, this is something I know we talked about was, you know, Connor, have there been times of extreme stress in your career where in your own mind, you've handled it, let's call it well, you were resilient. You saw the mistake. Uh, you understood kind of what caused it. You understood, you know, how best to avoid it next time. Uh, and you moved on and you, you approached the next shift whether that be, you know, going home from the rink that day or literally just the next shift uh, with a freshness, right? Without that hangover from the mistake. Um, and I really, f if you're willing to admit that there's times you've done that well, then by definition, there's counter data, there's counter points to say that, well, then there's obviously times in, in, in uh, comparison to that, you've struggled. I've struggled. And these were conversations I'd had because I'd, I'd come to you throwing fits. Ah, I got a tough coach. Uh, I got injured this year. You know, I got, you know, every player said it. I got fucked. Yeah. Right. I'm getting, oh. I'm getting screwed over and over again. Yes. And I don't want to say I'm on the other side of it now, but really it, it did force me to change. It did force me to, you know, Connor, you're talking to yourself so negatively and now you've got this compounded effect of this coach who's talking to you so negatively. Now it's too much. I used to be able to handle it when it was just me, <laughs> right? I had the supportive coach. Uh, and, and this is figurative. It really can place anywhere in my career. Uh, but all of a sudden, when I had both bad guys in my head, I was, I was peeling at the seams. Yeah. And that... <sighs> I just think it doesn't take much. You think you're resilient and just one more thing on your plate can, 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 you can have a meltdown. And uh, I, I dealt with that recently in February where, you know, I'm really good at my self practice and managing my stress, but I, I bought a house. I, I, uh, my car was, you know, this, all these sequences, a couple snowpad, huge snowstorms work was sort of, uh, challenging. I had some personal um, family things going on. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's a hit and run on my car and my car got totaled. And that one little thing of like, my car being inaccessible, which was like something so simple, but it impacted my, you know, getting my kids to hockey and doing the other, I just, my stress levels just melted down. And it took a while to recover. But I just think we seem to be doing okay, okay, okay. Then something happens and, you, and one more thing pushes us over the edge. 
and and that just goes back to you don't have structure in place you don't have skills you don't have a support network a vulnerability exposure like a person you can really uh uh my how you're feeling off of Th- those things are really imperative to navigating these challenging times for me it lasted a month other people last years and they don't yeah. feel like they can really be vulnerable to who they are and in sports there's just this burden this burden that has become bigger and bigger every year and i see this with the players i work with from social media to the influence of their agents and other people outside like expecting them to be a certain way and this is a theme i want the listeners to really understand in their lives that expectations is an old operating system it runs in all of us it's like the uh it's just an old operating system and we can't get rid of it. And what's, what do you think is a byproduct of expectations? Like uh, emotionally, you have expectations um, and you don't meet those. What, what do you feel? Heaviness, uh, like you've let your tribe down. Um, like you're falling short of your potential, like you're failing, like yeah. you're drowning. And there's disappointment. Disappointment's yeah. like a really strong, it, it, it walks hand in hand with expectations. And, and that's fine. And that's okay. It's just what it is. Now, a higher vibration or upgrade to that program is to take expectations, move it out of the way and replace it with something else. And if you're going to do that, what do you replace expectations with? You replace it with trust and faith. So expectations will be there. Your coaches will put them on you. You will put yourself, but they have this depleting effect. Oh man, pressure, pressure, disappointment. If I don't do it, because you're bound to not meet your expectations, it's going to happen. But if you can acknowledge, okay, wait a second. What if I just put my energy on trust and faith that I have trust in myself and who I am and how I show up. I have faith in this positive future that no matter what comes my way, I have this ability to overcome it and meet it and, and, and use it as an opportunity. That is a much higher upgrade to the, to the program of expectations. That's going to be there. But hey, if I step up and I start to just feed the trust in myself, feed the trust in the people around me, feed the uh, faith in the positive future, Guess what? All of a sudden, I lean on that a lot more than like, oh, I dro- I disappointed myself. Oh, I let my team down. Oh, I, you know, instead, you know what? I got this. I'm going to make mistakes. And that's okay. But I trust that I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive. I'm going to do well. That's a different mindset. That's a different operating system. And it's a much more high resonant, positive approach to, to this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Can you understand that part? Well, yeah, it does. And let's, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the tells for you personally when you are living in your head and what does that sound and feel like versus when you are living in your heart from a place of self-compassion and self-trust, like what are some of the tells that you know, what are some of the feelings that uh, go along with both? And then underneath that, of course, are tools, right? Whether it's, you know, getting your shoes off, getting outside, mm-hmm. um, you know, a great, uh, you know, breathwork session. And sometimes what I find is, is it's just something about that capital R like resistance, you know, usually you're, you're least likely to take the medicine that you need when you need it, right? Like when you're so stuck in your head and you're analyzing the death uh, of what went wrong and, and why someone didn't call for the puck on this play and how could I have missed this? Uh, you know, coach uh, had warned us in the pre-scout of this, you know, uh, face-off play. That's when you're least likely to take your medicine. So, you know, that's kind of climbing the emotional ladder, right? Is understanding, am I operating from a place of trust? Am I operating from a place of fear? Even recognizing that there are those two different zones. That's a skill in its own right. And then finding ways to elevate, finding ways to shift. How do you do this personally? I think I've had enough skill of, you know, everything takes practice to build 
to build the uh, not only the neuroplasticity, but how our how we feel our body. Listen, there's more information going to the brain than the brain is going to the body. Like this is it's, this is proven in science. The number one input to the brain is the heart. Literally, the heart develops um, and is responsible for the fetal development. Brain is a secondary process there, and so with that. You know, what we get into is we get into this, this these thought patterns that are always going to be there. This input, output, match, data matching brain thought forms. Like we're just chasing thought after thought. We're ruminating when we're in that. Just we're here and then we jump to this thought and that thought. And we're, it's just, it's, it's chaos, right? And so when we're, when we're so identifying with what we're thinking, that's a point where hopefully you have some awareness that, wow, I'm really this, I'm in thought. And guess what? This thought is causing me, I'm really responding in stress to this thought. This person's upsetting me. What they said, I don't like. Oh my gosh, I messed up. I'm think, 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 think. You're, you're ruminating. So for me, I, I, I just have the skills and I've developed the skills where I'm like, oh, wait a second. This thought is causing me stress. What, what am I feeling? And I call this the you technique. This is a great technique. I'm caught up in thought. and I'm, I, it's, it's creating some sort of stress level. What am I thinking? Okay, great. I drop down into my heart. What is this thought making me feel? It's making me feel some upset of some form, overwhelmed, frustration, resentful, resentful um, um, irritated. It could be a bunch of things, insecure, shame even. What would I rather feel? And I take a couple breaths in and I say, you know what? I'd rather feel balanced. I'd rather feel accepting. I'd rather feel patient. I'd rather feel joy. And I breathe that in my heart in literally a breath or two, go back to my head. What am I thinking now? How am I seeing this situation through that different feeling state? And all of a sudden it changes and morphs. But if we're trying to jump around in our thoughts to create change, what that really sets us up for is suppression, repression, and depression. We're really just thinking or talking our way out of it, but we're not really acknowledging this undercurrent of emotions that really drives the ship. It's the fuel. And and I think people get scared to 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 move. They feel like they don't have time to feel. I don't have time to feel this right now. I don't have time to deal with this. But the reality is that's where you can quickly shift and be much more resilient. Our emotions are where that resilience really can shift the feeling state and our mind responds instantaneous. But if we're trying to move it around in our mind, that, that depleting emotion can sit and hover there. That overwhelm, that anxiety, that, you know, think about how many people have anxiety now. You know, everybody's got anxiety, but they don't know what it is. It's just anxiety. And they sit there and, oh, I just have anxiety. They just don't even deal with it. But if they yeah. spent time here and actually just felt and just breathed and shifted the way they're feeling, they could probably start to harness it and, and come to grips with it a lot more. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's tricky, but again, it, it takes time to practice those skills. But breath, breath and awareness are the number one, one ways to get there. I think I'm going to butcher this quote, but I think it was Albert Einstein. It's like a problem cannot be solved by the same consciousness that created it. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times when I'm stuck in thought, that's, that's the, that's what I will think to interrupt the, the, the hamster wheel, right? Like I got, I used to joke, I got a, I got a hamster upstairs. That's, you know, got legs on him. Like this guy just, this motherfucker just wants to run all day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he just wants to spin up and thought and there, there's great, chaos and spontaneity and creativity up here. And again, talking about this integration, it's something that I really accept as a, as a superpower, but it comes with a cost, right? Similar like the, the queen's gambit. There's that awesome uh, scene. Have you seen that show yet? I love that show. A great show. Where the, where the, where the teacher provides the coin and he's like, you know, here's your gift and here's what it costs. Right. Um, and then if I can, my heart, the, the big mind, the big Connor, 
the, the Connor with perspective, what would 10 year old Connor think of me? And what would 100 year old Connor think of the situation when you like compound, when you add those two perspectives, the voice gets really clear. The, the, the message becomes really consistent. Mm-hmm. And generally it's Connor, enjoy this. See where this is happening for you. Uh, this too, you know, re- it really will pass good or bad. Um, show up and do your best. And you know what that looks like. Period. Full stop. That happens in my relationship. That happens with my work. It definitely happens with Charlie now. You know, I got a, I got a little baby that, you know, cries at two, four and six to be fed, you know? And the second thing that, that really tells me like stress is not our foe, right? Stress can be a great uh, catalyst for growth, right? It can be a kick in the butt. Like, Hey, you need more Uh, physically. You need to apply stress so that you can become bigger, faster, stronger, right? We, we, we know this from a, a physical standpoint. From a mental standpoint, my tell on whether stress is serving me or not, there's been periods in my life, and let's call this overwhelm, where I have my goal list, my to-do list, whatever it is, train, uh, take the dog out, uh, prepare for a podcast. I will become stressed out whether I do it or don't do it. There is no win. It's irrelevant. If I have to do it, it feels like work. It feels like stress, right? Then there's this other place where I'm more compassionate. I'm more big minded. I'm not squeezing. And that's where I am comfortable both handling the task or leaving it be. And that's when I know I'm doing a really good job managing my, my barrel of stress, right? You don't want to have a five pound sausage and a three pound skin, right? It'll explode. So if you, if you're, if you're, if you're stress peril can only handle so much. And like you said, you just add that one little cherry on top, you know, and the surface tension boils yeah. over, you're in trouble. And so, you know, that's been being able to recognize that difference has been Super important. And then once I just am able to locate, then I can go into my toolbox and go, okay, I need to not need to, I want to sauna for a bit. I want to do a breath work session. Um, and let's focus on that one real quick, just because this will come out after the oxygen advantage uh, podcast with Patrick. We utilize nasal breathing in our techniques, but we also use some of the big open mouth breathing to purposely, like we just talked about, go into these states of stress, these states of hyperventilation to sort of reorganize some things. Why do we do that? Well, uh, two things. There's two ways to breathe, the nose and the mouth, right? The nose is about control. We're trying to control processes in our body, control our mind, control there's a, there's a, uh, that's why we do want to breathe through our nose, you know, the majority of our experience. Now, why would we breathe through the mouth when say scientifically it shows that's not the efficient way. Don't do it. Like there's other ways to do it. Like make sure you breathe through the nose. I get it. And so I, most of the tools I teach for mental programming and, and body control and emotional control is through the now, uh, through the nose. However, Mouth-based breathing is about out of control. And when you look at, at what is our psyche constantly trying to do is stay in its homeostasis. Organize, we're trying, keep us safe, keep it, pattern keep it, recognition. Keep us here. Keep it, and that's good because, you know, we want to we move forward under control. But when we're looking to shift and get unstuck on something, whether it's mental patterns or emotional holding patterns in our body, or we're stuck in a rut in our life, or physically even, I can't get enough breath, I just feel limited, we've got to challenge the body far beyond what it's comfortable And mouth-based breathing, because one, you unlock the jaw, or our emotional sort of uh, 
our subconscious emotional holding patterns show up in our jaw, our hands, and our glutes. Or, or I should say our, our, our pelvic floor. Yeah, just yeah. that's where we are. Clamp down when we're emotionally stressed. Uh, you know, and what happens when we're relaxed and having a good time? <laughs> oh, yeah, great. You know, your jaw's wide open, right? But when we breathe through the mouth and we're taking in these fuller, deeper breaths and we're not using our body in exercise or in movement, we can just allow, one, our body to take in a lot of oxygen. We can also allow our body to start to feel free to let go. And, and it's our mouth is open and our energy can move out from crying, laughing, um, saying what you need to say to... Uh, again, putting our body way outside of its comfort zone because what will happen, especially like the Wim Hof method, mm-hmm. he's a fuller, fuller, deeper. And he usually stops after 30 or 60 breaths. But if you went on for 45 to 60 minutes doing that breath, your body's going to be buzzing and tingling. You're going to be having emotional releases, all sorts of crazy stuff because your body's so far outside of its homeostasis, you've let go of control. And it serves a purpose, especially when guided and in, in, in support with somebody. But to go do that on your own, yeah, you're probably going to stop after 10 or 15 minutes. Your body just is going to stop. But when you're guided by a coach, you really transcend that and have these altered experiences. I mean, many people are like, wow, this feels great, like I've done drugs or something. I'm like, yeah, you've. Because it takes you so far outside of your homeostasis. And, uh, and more importantly, this vibration. It gives you a different access to what energy really feels like in the body. And uh, that's a really cool thing. And I know you experience a lot of that in sessions. Yeah, I have. And, and it, it, there is a purposeful point in going into these stressful states. There is, we can go there and train there, you know, under the guidance mm-hmm. of a coach and kind of um, sort through it. It's interesting because I, I have read that about a lot of the Wim Hof and things like that is, is it's sort of a, a, a trigger, right? Like when else in your life have you hyperventilated? When else have you taken in that type of oxygen, either in super intense exercise, which I'm fortunate to do and have a lot of people don't experience those states for, I mean, gosh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, you know, or when you're really emotional, you feel you've been wronged or, you know, mm-hmm. something's really struck a chord with you. And it really is like, a, you use the, you know, the word uh, drug or like altered experience it chemically, the, the CO2 oxygen ratio in your body is so different from, like you said, homeostasis. It really is uh, a different access point. It's an opportunity to sort of move things. And I was, I was going through this with, I was talking to my dad the other day, just about, you know, physical health and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, I, I forget where I'd read the study, but it was talking about the therapy of back pain, right? Which is a chronic issue in the United States. And this is kind of a side tangent, but it was saying that in a, in head to head studies that physical therapy was outperformed by like clinical psychology sessions, counseling sessions, when it came to back pain, literally uh, like emotional, uh, discourse, unloading outperforms, you know, physical exercise, mm-hmm. which is wild, right? Cause you would think of, okay, I have back pain. That's a physical, that's a mechanical issue. But you know, for a lot of people, like I, I'll use, I'll, I don't want to say throw my mom under the bus, but I'll use my mom for example, right? My mom growing up would say, you know, oh, Connor, you know, uh, as a kid, can you, can you rub my neck? I've been, you know, really, I'm, I'm so worked up. My neck is so tight. Well, if energy is neither created nor destroyed and your life hasn't changed and we can agree that stress is like this energy force, if all you've been doing is going to work, you know, doing mom stuff, laundry, um, you know, that was my mom's role in the house growing up, you know, uh, dishes, taking the dogs for a walk. Where is this neck pain coming from? Like you didn't all of a sudden take up CrossFit mom, <laughs> right? For example, and then the, I'm just using yeah. someone in my life yeah. as an example. And it's because this stress is building up somewhere. It's accumulating. There's a, there's a, there's a tell of this, you know, physical trauma. And I felt it, you know, where your, your tongue's real clenched. Uh, you're serious, right? Um, mm-hmm. We use the term 
Uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll use myself, vacation face. A lot yeah. of times as well. well, well we, we talked about that. You don't remember after our breast sessions. I'm like, oh, there's vacation face. And it's, it's interesting. I had a, there was a massage, a massage therapist in Washington. I swear to God, this is a true story. So it was my rookie year. You know, I'm a 19-year-old punk on a very veteran team. Uh, it, it was positive trauma. I was very excited to be in the NHL, but it was stressful, right? Like I, I just, I had the spotlight theory. I thought I was being judged at all times. I was being watched at all times. And, you know, I didn't have the leash with myself personally to be light, right? Everything was serious. It's like this. It's like this all the time, right? Like I was at Home Depot trying to figure out what hammer I wanted to buy, right? And uh, <laughs> the massage therapist, swear to God, he came up to me and he touched my forehead. He's like, dude, Relax this. Yeah. Like calm down. Calm down. And a lot of times with the, with the extended breathwork sessions that we've done, I mean, we've gone on 45, 60, you know, 80 minute sessions before. All like the subconscious muscles in your face just melt. And if people, if this sounds a little woo to our listener, like think about it, think about it in your life. To, you know, think about the times where, Someone took a legitimate, uh, candid snapshot of you at, you know, a family party where you're dying laughing. You know, your uncle or aunt said a hyster- hysterical story, right? And there's this full face smile versus, you know, school pictures. You know, go ahead and smile. And they look different. There's, yeah. there's something physically there. One of the biggest, in, one of the biggest uh, inputs into our brain on, uh, on what our brain does is facial muscles. So you got heart influence, uh, nervous nervous uh, system, uh, autonomic nervous system input, and facial muscles, to, like dramatically impact what the brain decides to do. It's really fascinating. It is, and, and, and so you know, going real, going real quick, going back to the back pain of your dad, uh, Doctor John Sarnow, uh, doctor out of New York City, has done thousands of studies. Probably tens of thousands at this point on how the nervous system reroutes emotions and into holding patterns in the body. And he talks about low back pain being infantile narcissistic rage. That like little baby that's like, ah, ah, you know, just that, because ah, yeah. we all have rage in us, but how often are we expressing, expressing that rage? No, we, we it's, we aren't ever allowed that. A little baby oftentimes will just like, man, you know, yeah. it'll go and then it'll move on and then it's on to the next thing. But we don't get the capacity or we've limited ourselves in our emotional expression and we don't know how to ask for our needs. And this is why these dysfunctional relationships for a lot of people end up because you don't know how to ask for your what you need. And which is oftentimes just space to express yourself and be heard and not have somebody tell you your feelings are wrong or, or that they, they, you you don't, you can't feel like that. You're a guy, you know, or just choke it down. You got to perform. Like there's really this emotional well-being that's, that's at the foundation of mental health. Everybody talks about mental health. I say it's emotional health, feeding the mental health crisis. You know, what happens in our heart if that's not dealt with, that is the biggest influencer at what part of our brain we're looping around. And with all the autonomic or uh, autoimmune issues, it's, a, it's an epidemic in autoimmune issues these days. Everybody's got a, a mini autoimmune issue. And so much of that is they're finding it has a lot of their, a lot of it in the limbic system where, where our emotions, our memories are stored. And, uh, and again, going back to you can do this healing of trauma and trauma healing. We're all walking. Every human being around you is a walking trauma. We are. We can't get away from it. It just is. Every human. It's just expressed differently and how those symptoms or how those uh, ways are is just different for every person. But going back to it, it's, it's just, I, I really think this emotional intelligence, social emotional intelligence is the future of performance. When you look at performance, you're so you're like this biohacker. You're always looking for the next edge and trying to bring up important conversations around being human, uh, human performance. And I and I really think it's those formal skills of learning how to have a hard conversation, 
how to get your needs met in healthy ways and in relationships, how to honor what you're feeling and own your own emotions, how to be able to create healthy boundaries with people in your life. I mean, you know how many professional athletes blow their money, you know, or, or they, they let everything outside themselves dictate their, how they feel about themselves. That's unhealthy. Or they sit there and they don't have any boundaries about how they relate to themselves about, you know what, I'm going to, I'm done talking to myself like that. Or I'll only talk to myself like that in these moments. Not all day long, just beating myself up in shame or I'm not good or, or oh man, I, I hope I can do this. I mean, that's really so much of my coaching, especially from, from high schoolers to this, you know, everybody trying to jump to the next level in hockey. They're, they're, they're floundering here with this coach. All I'm doing is giving a mirror and, and, and asking questions or giving them some skills that they can just access and empower themselves back to, you know what? I am that 10-year-old kid. I am that five. I haven't changed. Like, how can I access that true sense of self? And, uh, and that's my true power. And as soon as I try to be something else and somebody different, I'm, I'm stretching. I'm being inauthentic. I'm losing energy, holding up this false image. When I can have this courage to just be me, and I got trust. I got faith. I can be more. And, I, and I'm ready to take that on. Sounds really easy. It just is helpful when you have somebody to really reflect back that it's okay. You're okay. It's okay to feel upset. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. But if you're running around chasing it in your mind, I think you're just going to continue to chase it. You drop down into your heart, do some breathing in your heart, acknowledge really what I'm feeling, and that's okay. But I can shift it in my heart. Your heart has its own intelligence, its own brain. It, it literally, that's how we... It is showing that the science is showing that it has its own neurological memory and ability to think and feel. It is our intuitive center. And when I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and CEOs and those uh, executives, so many of their decisions end up coming down to that intuitive decision that what, 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 what really feels right. And, and I think that's the thing we got to get back to is oh man, when I know it feels right, that's the direction I go. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your work with, is it Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind? Mark Devine, yes. Because a lot of this can be coined as mental health or, you know, male vulnerability, right? We're two, you know, grown men trying to talk about how we feel and how we process stress, right? These are things that, you know, uh, old, old school hockey players would have been a little bit more private with, right? It would have, mm -hmm. it would have been a, a tell of weakness. And I kind of, wh what do those in marketing do, right? When Under Armour has a big new product, they go and they, they tell, you know, here, Bryce Harper, wear this gym shoe and everyone will think it's cool, right? And it's like, that's why I'm grateful for people like, you know, you're a hockey player. Um, you know, Mark Devine as, as, an, as a Navy SEAL is out there championing this work. And, and I think it's a great marketing tool. Really, because who's tougher than Navy SEALs? Like, <laughs> world-renowned badasses. And these guys are starting to discuss, you know, where's your HRV? Where, where, where's your heart zone? Are you thinking big picture? Are you processing your stress? Because they recognize, you know, if their autonomic nervous system's out of whack, their entire skill set's out of whack, their ability to decision-make, their ability to execute upon those decisions that they're making subconsciously or consciously. Um, so in terms of your training with the unbeatable mind with Mark, what are some of your favorite principles that you've been able to develop since getting to know him a bit? Well, I think the biggest one that I really resonate from is that when these five plateaus, and as you go from the plateaus in your human development, if you can get to that fifth plateau, that's a, being a world-centric leader. And we're trying to really support people to, to be world-centric leaders in the way they think and that every decision they make and, and how they interact really has an influence on the world around them, the products you buy, the, the, the way you um, 
communicate with people you don't know versus people you do know, like your decisions on um, how, where you take your company. All those things really come down to that each of us has this capacity, whether we got a small little social network, whether we're just uh, a student, uh, whether well, I shouldn't say just a student, but if we're a student to running a high level corporation, when you get to that level of being a world centric leader, you really are recognizing that every decision I make has an influence on the environment around me. And how do I want to lead? How do I want to lead? And to be a real leader, you got to look at the aspects of your life. You got to own that. And one of the biggest drivers is the emotional mountain. So they have five mountains that he runs by. These five mountains are parts of your life that you really want to spend time in and develop skills and develop practices. Obviously, the physical mountain, we know very, very well. Lots of people are in great shape and struggling emotionally. We know this. So the next one is emotional mountain. That's a lifelong process, your emotional development, your emotional um, understanding, your emotional, your ability to navigate your emotions, how they show up in your life. Third mountain is your mental mountain. How are you challenging your thought processes, your stories, your narratives? In my social emotional, I'm a partner or partner in a social emotional training company. We say, know your story and get bigger than it. If you're not getting bigger than your story, like if you just keep repeating your story, that's a victim attitude. You got to get bigger than being a victim. Recognizing when you're being a victim, when you're playing that victim card, or when you're being a bully, or when you're you come from this trauma in the background, don't let that define you. Use it as to get bigger than yourself. So on the mental skills, and where do I want to go? Like, how, what really am I curious about? What, what really, when, I, when I'm reflecting on life, or I, I, want, I go to social media, or I read books in a bookstore or magazine shelf, what am I drawn to? Let that be the path. Because that's calling into your values and your true curiosities. Fourth mountain, intuitive mountain. That's the ability to think, you know, I, that's another term of spirituality. What's, what's the part of me that's, that allows life, accesses this deeper meaningfulness to me? What really calls this uh, aspect of, of, of bigger sort of synchronicities in life? Like, what's going to nurture that? Well, I can tell you, number one, which you know with me, nature. Are you getting in nature? Are you getting outside and, and getting away from the noise, getting away from stressors? Are you being in reflective thought? getting in places that just allow your mind to wander, that's going to give you access to that intuitive mountain. And then the fifth one is Kokoro. Kokoro is really how you're combining your heart, mind, integration into activity in life. How are you showing up? Are you volunteering? Are you putting, are you, are you influencing others in really positive ways? Are you have a, yeah, just how do you want to impact the life? In those five mountains, when looked at, start to drive you forward in life towards a more meaningful, purposeful life. Yeah. I really like the, how do you say that? Kokora, the last one? Kokoro. Yeah. K-O-K-O-R-A. It, it, it's beautiful in that it really reminds me of the armed forces concept of like decentralized command, right? For everything to start from the top and run like rainwater all the way down to the bottom to every last person on the field. That's so slow. That's so um, clunky. But if we can decentralize command and allow people to trust their training, to trust their instinct and make real-time decisions on the ground, there's such a flow of leadership that there are no kinks in the hose. And this is something that you know, with this podcast, I really try to champion is, and, and this is where the heart zone, I think is so important. We all, we're all raised in school and by mom and dad for the most part with really similar ideals. You know, I don't think not to criticize uh, the leaders in our lives growing up, but like, I don't think a lot of their thoughts were tremendously original and that's okay because the ones they were uh, regurgitating are really tried and true. You know, work hard, uh, be a good person, 
do something that you love. Um, and, 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 you know, we can keep going, but a lot of this gets lost. And, and I've seen it with teammates of mine. I, I've done it myself where all of a sudden you're going through a bad stretch and all, all those key ideals have, have gone out the window and all you can focus on is execution. All you care about is the pass fail. Did I play good? Did I not? And it's not a learning experience. It's just, it's, it, it was a failure or a success. And neither of which do you actually feel you're, you're leveraging and bringing with you as an asset to the next bout, right? It's, it's strictly a momentum builder or momentum killer, right? Yeah. And so this idea of Kokora is like, you know, I have two younger brothers and, and, you know, I try to speak to them in a way that someone that loves them and, and knows them well would. Uh, and very similarly, like think about the tree of people that Blake and Hunter that you both influence. Think about all the people that you know, you know, particularly in hockey, that's the realm we, we share the most, right? Mm -hmm. Think about all the teams indirectly Pierre DeBar has influenced strictly through your work. Yeah, right. Directly for sure. A lot, right? You know, like I, I know, you know, a lot of the Blackhawks that you see, a lot of the university kids, uh, the junior players. But now, you know, if, if you're with a captain of a USHL team and then you're, you're with, you know, a couple players from the University of Wisconsin and a couple key players for the Chicago Blackhawks, think about, and, and they're at all of these institutions, all of these clubs for years, the web of players that you've been able to affect. And, and I want to commend you for that because, you know, really what, as I transitioned in our relationship from, okay, this guy is a, you know, fantastic body therapist that can help me feel better for my back squat tomorrow, which was great. And I needed that at the time. And I, and I appreciate your skill set there. But when I really recognize that, oh, like these are going to be lifelong leadership learning moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm really going to be able to train my inner trust my inner belief. I, I had this conversation. This is interesting. I had a conversation with uh, Roland Pankowicz, who I have, um, you know, consult with on the nutrition side. And we were talking about this biohacking nature of myself. Right. And it was Connor, like at some point you got to quit looking under like every single rock. He's like, what are you looking for? He's like, there's no, there's no magic pill. He's like, well, we, we can take some supplements because food quality isn't what it used to be, for sure. Soil depletion, like all that, that's a real thing. The nutritional value of an apple today isn't what it was 50 years ago. Fine. All right, we'll take some multivitamins and stuff. He goes, but like belief, belief in inner knowing yes. and, and trusting that no, I mean this kind of literally no matter what, you will be responsible and capable of fostering your own safety. He goes, that's Trust more powerful than any, than any food I can prescribe than any, you know, switch from tap water to distilled hydrogen, you know, hydrogen, whatever water. And, uh, it really clicked. It, it really started to click that, you know, that belief muscle is really what, you know, connects us from, you know, fingertips to our toes to the top of our head. You, if, if you go back and listen to this podcast, you're going to see, you know, I started out with the trust and faith, right? The expectation shifting from that to up, up leveling to trust and faith itself and having that be a focal point. You've spoken to that multiple ways on this, on this talk already. And that being another example right there you just gave of having trust and faith. Like he's challenging, just trust yourself that you got this, that you will make good choices, that you will be mindful that, you know, the, the world will unfold for you and how you're ready. You will be met with enough challenge to cause you to move. You will have enough support. And, and if you have too much of one, you just go look at some support will show up. If you have too much support, some challenge will show up. That, you'll constantly be moving forward, but to trust and have faith itself that you're going to be moving forward. That's exactly. And, and it triggers, I, I had the privilege of working with the U S world junior team before mm -hmm. during, during the tournament this year, when, you know, they smoked the Canadians in that 
gold medal game. And if you watch that game, you can see the trust and faith. That was the theme I said. And what feeds trust and faith is appreciation. Appreciation of yourself, appreciation of the people in your life, your teammates, the role each person has and have an appreciation for that role is as important as the, the dude that snipes goals. Like having that appreciation raises it, and now I trust those people around me and have faith in this. And it's the same thing. I've been working with the Wisconsin men's hockey program, trust and faith in each other. When you start to erode and, and when behavior starts to get away from it, people start to act in ways that makes you not trust them, right? That happens on teams. You see this yeah. all the time. If you don't have the skills about being able to speak to that behavior and how to how to help them back in line so you can trust them again, it's just going to erode a team. So a lot of the work I did with the uh, Badger program is to give these help support this structure, these formal structures that help speak the behavior and get them back in line. So then you can trust them again. They can trust themselves. They can have faith in each other. And that that's that social emotional skill sets that are really the frontier of the next level of performance is that, Hey, I'm an individual. I'm working on these things, but if I'm in my reptilian brain, because I'm upset, overwhelmed, uh, got anxiety. That's not keeping me up here. That's keeping me back in this part of the brain. It's keeping me in the lower quadrant. For me to be in a flow state and to think the game at a high level and be at my best, I need to be the front part of my brain. And that means I got to acknowledge what I'm feeling. Because if I'm in the depleting emotions, that's going to keep me back here. I got to shift into these positive, renewing emotions. And all of a sudden, I can access that higher state or if i'm in relationship and i'm upset going into a hard conversation guess what you're probably going to get a little upset back you're going to get this reflection so how can i shift myself to a balanced calm state when i go into a difficult conversation so i can navigate that properly rather than have it blow up in my face you know so there's a lot of ways of learning these skills about what are my emotions how's it impacting my brain and then how do I establish healthy boundaries and communication strategies? That's where sports is going. That's where if you look at athletic departments, they're starting to look at how, how, can, how can we help support the student athletes and their mental and emotional well-being? How can we give them skills so they're productive citizens after they graduate college? How can we start to work as an organization to honor these dysfunctional patterns and, and start to bring them and be more efficient and effective. Like that's all social emotional. That's all relationship based stuff at the end of the day. And, and again, that's the future of performance. And that's where I'm, that's my, my vision of where I'm going to. Well, it, it can sound complicated or, or inaccessible sometimes, but it really is pretty binary. Are you not breathing or are you breathing? Are you fearful or are you operating from a place of trust? Are you unconscious about how you're going through your day and fostering your outputs or your inputs, which will eventually lead to your outputs? Or are you conscious in trying to put together what this living being wants to show up as? And when, at least for me anyway, when it becomes that black and white and when it becomes that, uh, as clear as pass fail, because very quick, I become very quick to identify where I'm at and it becomes very clear on where I want to get to. And that's been, if I, you know, can distill, you know, the three lessons that we work on together most. And it's so funny how it, it really is full circle, right? Like, are, are we discussing anything that, you know, ancient wisdom hasn't already tried to tackle, whether you look right. at, you know, the Bible, Buddhism, um, you know, I read some of the Stoicism books, like. Native American culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, we're not discovering anything particularly profound, which shows the difficulty in mastery, that this is still the conversation humans are having after all this time. But it also shows, at least for me, how worthwhile engaging with that work is. 
because it's as, it's as true as time. It's meaningful work. And that's a good question to ask yourself. And I'll ask people, even, you know, high-level executives, I'll ask, what was the last meaningful thing you did? And what did it ask of you to get do it? And that's starting to access that heart. Because when meaningful things come up, you're accessing the heart wisdom. You're accessing things that mean something of value to you. And, and that's worthy of reflection on what was the last meaningful thing you did? Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was a month ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Well, that's telling you something. You're off track. You know, that's going to give you a kind of the compass. And I'll say, listen, if we're guiding our, our compass is our brain, trying to think our way to our destination, guess what? You're going to be zigzagging all over the place. You come down into your heart, anchor your compass in your heart. What's meaningful to me? What is important to me? And have your compass start there. Guess what? Now you can have your brain follow that. and You're going to have a sharper, stronger, more probably more precise vision of where you want to go because you're accessing the heart qualities and having your mind support those heart qualities towards action. That's Kokoro. It's Kokoro living. Uh, if it was socially in, in, acceptable, I'd get that tattooed on my fucking forehead. <laughs> no, like what's the last meaningful thing you did? Who are you? Who do you want to be? Where yeah, am I going? Well, yeah. You know? Well, it's just, I, you know, Again, this could turn into a 10-part series, which you and I have talked about doing, creating a program for, all, you know, your listeners and, and other athletes. But let me kind of just put a couple things. I know we're sort of starting to get towards the end of this, but I think there's a couple tidbits that are important for the listeners to understand from my perspective. Sort of winning habits that will, are simple but change your life. So just electrically how we are, we're the most sophisticated piece of electronic equipment on earth. And high sophisticated electronic equipment needs to be grounded to operate at its best. Because if it gets a surge of energy through the, uh, through the network, it can blow it, right? And then all of a sudden the computer's not working, the TV's done, the radio doesn't work anymore, whatever it is. Here we are, nobody's touching the earth. Nobody's grounded. And so what happens is voltage builds up at the top of our head and the energy is being drawn up here. So you wonder why we're always in our head. Yet when you touch your feet to the ground, get in the grass, get into the beach, touch the dirt, get, all of a sudden you, you voltage discharges, you become grounded. And if you notice and become aware, you all of a sudden go, huh, that feels good. I feel better. I'm I'm thinking better. I'm more grounded. I'm more drawn down. And so really one of my big winning habits is get into nature, touch nature, connect with this bigger essence. When we're in nature, it gives us a really good reflection of ourselves. We reflect the thought. Going to alpha brainwave states a lot easier, which is more that meditative sort of uh, vacation face you're looking for. That's a winning habit. And again, looking for uh, uh, moving electrical energy, moving uh, human energy, moving just discharge, and it's great. Second thing is breath. Are you consciously breathing? So you don't, I mean, a couple of the easy techniques you can go with four, seven, eight, breathing in for four seconds, holding for seven, exhaling for eight seconds, four, seven, eight. That's a great one by Dr. Andrew Weil. You do what? Uh, Mark Devine has made very popular is box breathing. Breathing in for count of four or five seconds, holding five seconds, exhaling for five seconds, holding for five seconds, around a 10. Or just simply what you referenced earlier. When you get stressed, when you recognize you're holding tension, when you're upset, breathing into the sides of your body. Breathing into the sides of your ribs, your armpits, just getting any sense of movement in lateral expansion of your rib cage and the lateral parts of your body. That impacts your diaphragm, your autonomic nervous system immediately. It starts to train you. Those are two huge ones. And then, of course, the third one being is 
do things that create Kairos. Kairos is the artist's mind. We're so wrapped up in digital. We just so quickly grab our phones and so quickly look for these distracting things. What happens when we don't do that? Just reflect. We're choose to do things where mind or where time becomes abstract. That's the difference between chronos, which is like really like digital time and you know having finite time compared to kairos, which is sort of expanded time. And, and if you're feeling stressed and you're feeling challenged, we'll find some kairos time. What draws it up? Some people it's fishing, some people it's going for a long walk, some people it's exercise, whatever that is. I, I find good, deep, wandering, curious conversation states of Kairos too. We're always saying, man, that was an awesome conversation. We just got into it for a long time and look at that, an hour went by. Kairos can be in human interaction as well. So those are sort of three foundational things that start to honor the emotions, start to ground our emotions, start to access the deeper wisdom within us. Get us out of our mind, that chatter, that is really kind of where so much of our self-created problems end. end, end. Pierre, this was awesome. My uh, off day today for me as we played in Hershey on the road last night, and I had uh, sort of the three three Ps of, a, of an awesome off day. I had pancakes this morning, I had a pour over coffee, and I had a podcast with Pierre. And uh, it's, it's more there, PP podcast. That's it. That's it. It's mm-hmm. beautiful outside here. So I'm going to go get some Kairos time in. I'm going to get the shoes off, um, you know, in, in a park here in your honor. I actually, Johnny Moore, by the way, says hi. I saw him a couple oh. weeks ago in Boston. We were talking about you. Uh, Pierre, you know, this is awesome. I appreciate, you know, every, every time we talk, I feel like I know myself better. And, and you help me remind me of, of, what I'm trying to do and, and not even what I'm trying to do, but what's actually natural for me. So I, I really appreciate yeah. that. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And let me just, you know, finish by honoring you. I just want to honor you that you have taken on your challenges over and over again and tried to find the, the, the golden feather or the silver lining in all of them and, and not let them define you, but really look inward to see how they can serve you and your growth. And you've also seen, you've created a platform to freely support others in their development. And it's, and this is only the beginning. I still see this as like an infancy of your support and of others in the world. And I just want to honor that. And listen, hockey's going to challenge you, like none of your, your professional careers, like you give me your challenges. And I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for sharing that part of your life with me. So I appreciate you. Appreciate all the listeners listening on this. And you can find me Mental Skills, awesome. the Mental Skills Coach on Instagram. You can also follow me on Pierre Tamari, Facebook. Um, yeah, and you know, eventually I'm developing the mentalskillscoach.com. That's going to be coming out here in the next probably month. So awesome resources online. Feel free to respond. Awesome. And I, I can't wait to meet you at the new clinic uh, when we're back yeah. home on the other side of the season. And um, awesome, Pierre. Thank you. I'll do all the Instagram tags and things like that when we release. And uh, this was outstanding. I really appreciate your time and have a great cool. rest of your Monday. Have a great yeah, week. Okay. Too. Thank you, bud. All right. all right. Be well, Pierre. Peace. Thank you. I got to say, thank you to Pierre, first off, for being in my life. Uh, I get asked a lot, you know, why I'm a mental health advocate, why I um, you know, try to talk about, you know, the self-development space. And I, I guess I just recognize its power. I recognize how contagious we all are as people. And Pierre has been one of those people in my life. Um, every hour with him, you know, that we've spent, that, that's generally how we, you know, sort of schedule our appointments in the summer, say, for example, or even our, uh, our phone calls, if I, you know, want to bug him for some of his time uh, during the season, is a great investment. And I never know, you know, sort of when the return um, will show itself. You know, sometimes Pure Nye's work will, will really settle in and, and, and show its, its beauty and its importance in my life. You know, uh, middle of a game, I'm playing extremely well, or he's helped me appreciate uh, the beauty of 
really this entire thing, all the work that's gone behind my career, all the sacrifice that, you know, friends and family have, have made on my behalf, all the hard work that I've done myself. I've shown up for myself, you know, day in, day out, year in, year out. You know, I've really been a professional since I was 14 um, in terms of how seriously I take this this sport and this game. And, you know, he helps me remember you know, some of the some of the big components as to why I ever got into this game. Uh, it wasn't to, you know, make money. It was to make memories. It was to feel the feeling of, you know, well-executed one-timer, you know, in, in your hands. It was to feel the beauty of, of, you know, glide underneath my feet with the ice. And I think one of the things I want to highlight as well with Pierre in, in terms of the reasons why I, I you know, have come to, to know and love him so much is he's also an adult that has been a great role model for me, right? So we, we have these conversations uh, together. He and I, they're a little more dense and, and heavier in, in content, you know, uh, but he's also subconsciously, he leads by example, and he is a, what I would consider to be a playful individual. He has a certain lightness to him. And, and in contrast to, you know, a very serious sometimes workplace, a very competitive environment of, of pro hockey to meet uh, an adult man in 2021 with his uh, blend of sensitivity with intensity, uh, his ability to both, uh, you know, ponder, you know, age old questions and also not take himself so seriously, you know, as he does with, um, you know, he's an adult, for example, still playing hockey. And, and we'll talk about, <laughs> you know, if he had hit a post the, the night before, his, his, we'll trade frustrations. I'll be like, man, I, I can't believe, you know, in the middle of last season, they took me off the power point. I'll be like, man, I, I completely agree. I'm totally pissed off at the crossbar last night. Uh, you know, my men's league team, we, we had the game on the line and I missed. And, you know, I think it was because my, my chi was off. And we'll laugh about that. And, uh, you know, so... Really, I want to take a moment to thank our guests, as always, for you know listening week in, week out, uh, but also uh, to Pierre for his mentorship, both as a for sure as a spiritual leader, uh, but just as you know a modern man willing to you know lead by example and and be truly himself. He's someone that uh, if you've ever spent time with him, or even you know we had an Instagram live, for example, a couple weeks ago, and now this podcast, uh, you can see why uh, he's so infectious and, and someone that I truly enjoyed spending time with. So. Thank you again for joining us here on the Curious Competitor Podcast. I look forward to throwing down together again next week. 